Hello, and welcome back to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Paul warns in what he wrote, be very, very careful with this. This will lead you to being enslaved. If you had a choice, would you want to be on the side of slavery or on the side of the free? It's a bit of a no-brainer really, isn't it? Why would anyone willingly choose slavery? All through the Old Testament of the Bible, there are stories which are allegories, stories that reveal a deeper meaning. They reveal that then, as much as now, just by our choices, we place ourselves either on the side of the enslaved or the free. Let's join Dr. Corbett now for The Children of the Promise. Let's pray. Father, now as we come to that part of our service where we open your word, we pray that your word would indeed be opened in our hearts. That God, you would speak. You would speak into the hearts of every person. Those ears that we have that hear what no voice could utter except yours. And Lord, I pray that as a result of this, we would leave here knowing we've heard from you. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible or you have a device that has a Bible, would you please turn to Galatians and we'll go to chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. And I'm going to be continuing through a series that I've been doing uh, through this epistle of Paul's. And this was probably the first epistle that he wrote. And inside, within this epistle... There's two very, very strong themes that run through it that he will enlarge in some of his other epistles. But immediately, the first one is that there is freedom and the kind of freedom that he says is a freedom that comes from the, the sense that you are compelled, you are, you, you are constrained to be religious in a way of keeping a whole set of religious regulations that he then says no one can actually keep and if you can't keep it you risk eternal peril you can imagine the anguish that that causes have i done enough and i've mentioned to you that a part of my pastoral concern is that i've been at the bedside of people who had moments to live while they were still conscious Oftentimes they wonder, have I done enough? Have I done enough to be made right with God? And so I've got some questions that relate to this. As we look at this section, there is something that we've already heard today from Rika, and we've, we've sung it. It's the word inheritance. There's a, the Bible talks about an inheritance, and it talks about a promise that God has made. And I guess if you have a rich relative who promises you something in his inheritance that promise is either going to be fulfilled or not. And so we're going to see these words, inheritance, promise, heirs, and so on, mentioned in Paul's epistle to the Galatians. And this, in this section, we're, in chapter 4, we're actually going to see he uses the expression children of the promise. And I want to unpack that for you in a moment. I want to address those people who might think, yeah, but so what? What does it matter? I think it matters a lot actually, because if you can't get your true north for your soul, the bearings for your soul of what is actually true, good, right and beautiful, 
You will live the kind of life where you are forever looking for it and never finding it. This freedom that the Apostle Paul is talking about is in contrast to the freedom that people sell you as a false set of goods. A long time ago, a long time ago, around 400 years or so ago, a man by the name of Milton wrote a very long poem called Paradise Lost. And he says there was a creature who craved freedom. His craving led him to make a choice that from that moment that he made that choice, he would never have a choice again because he would now be a slave to his original choice. And that, that slavery would be his ultimate demise and destruction and the character's name in Milton's poem was Satan. Satan offers what he calls freedom, but it's not. It's slavery. So here's the question I want to pose to you. How many ways are there to find lasting, true happiness? How many ways are there to find that? We can find what we might call, and in C.S. Lewis's autobiography called Surprised by Joy, he calls the quest of every human soul the quest for joy. The quest to find that thing that he calls joy, it's beyond happiness. Because as we know, happiness comes and goes. Happiness is a moment and then it's gone. But he calls this thing a joy that comes to him, and he said throughout his life, even as an, a young child, he said there, was, there were times when his brother made a model garden just from bits of the garden, he put it on a piece of cardboard or wood, and he looked at it, and, and the young C.S. Lewis as a four- or five-year-old looked at that and thought, that is amazing. And he said there was a moment of ecstasy and excitement and joy that filled his heart, and he said, but it didn't last. And he said ever since then, he never knew he even had that capacity to have that emotional experience. And so he spent, he says, the rest of his life looking for it again. He said it came and it went, but I wanted it not to go. How many ways are there to find peace and forgiveness from God? How many ways are there? Because the world will tell you, there's many ways you can find it, which is rather odd because those who tell you that themselves have not found it. How many ways are there to find peace and forgiveness from God? And we know they haven't found it because right now, for the first time in Australia's history, we have never had so much anxiety as at this time in history right now. People are craving something. They're craving a peace that they just can't find. Sure, they can numb themselves with something out of a bottle or a pill jar or a needle, but even that doesn't last. How do you find forgiveness from God when you're aware that you need it? Of course, you might not be aware that you need it, and that might be the answer to your problem. But everyone faces death. Everyone faces that imminent knowledge that they will have their last heartbeat, their last brainwave, their last puff of air out of their lungs. And in those moments, suddenly we, we're not playing games anymore. 
We're asking real questions, hard questions. How can I find forgiveness from God? And I'm going to show you that the Apostle Paul said, many people have answered this with the word religion and they've invented a God. And we use the term small g for gods in this instance. And he actually says in the earlier part of chapter 4, where he says in chapter 4 verse 8, formerly when you did not know, he writes to the Galatians, when you did not know God, capital G, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods, yet they claimed to be. Paul has told the Galatians that the gods that they worshipped, and if you can think of the Greco-Roman world, the predominant religion at that time was emperor worship, the cult of the emperor. Every major city had a statue to the emperor, and everyone was obliged to offer wine and food at the shrine or the altar or the statue of the emperor and to offer prayers to him. The only exception to that were Jews who were granted permission from the emperor not to do that. Instead of praying to him, he conceded, you Jews, you, you don't have to pray to me, to my statue or my shrine or my monument, but you do have to pray for me. So that's how they got around that state law. And Paul says to the Galatians, you remember that. You, you would worship Zeus and Hermes and, and you would worship these Greco-Roman gods and then you had multiple other gods that you worshipped. And what did they do? They brought you into further condemnation. They didn't bring you any closer to the lasting peace and forgiveness and happiness that you were after. They denied it. And they, they put you on a course where you were forever feeling, is this all life is about? Is this what it's all about? Paul says these false gods were actually demons. Reflecting on Leviticus chapter 17, verse 7, where in the Old Testament it says, and, is, and some of these people worshipped gods that were not gods, it says they were demons. They sacrificed there. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 17. Psalm 106, verse 37 says the same thing. These gods were not just, just wood, metal or stone. Behind them were demonic evil spirits that had no intention of doing you good. They would sugarcoat their lies with just enough truth to lure you into their trap. And then Paul writing to the Corinthians on the other side of the Aegean to Galatia. He said, he will later say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 20, these idols are not nothing, he says. These idols are demons, evil spirits. There is a spiritual realm. And I think quite possibly at no other time in Australian history that I'm aware of, has there ever been a greater interest in the spiritual realm. People are intrigued by the immaterial spiritual realm, connection with the dead, supposedly, and things like this. And Paul warns in what he wrote, be very, very careful with this. This will lead you to being enslaved. And having told them, you remember when you used to do that? 
and I came and I preached the gospel to you, the good news, and you turned to Christ. Do you remember what happened? And this is the second great theme in Paul's very small epistle to the Galatians. The theme of the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, Paul was on a road heading north out of Israel to a place in Syria called Damascus. It still exists today. And while he was on that road, travelling with some companions who were going to help him torture and execute those people who had forsaken Judaism, he was suddenly knocked off his horse by a great light in which appeared to him physically appeared to him Jesus Christ. And his response immediately to that person standing in the midst of great light, not just on him, but coming out of him, was this question. This is in Acts chapter 9, about verse 4 and 5. Paul knocked off his horse, face in the dirt, looks up and says, Who are you, Lord? He recognised this is not just a vision. This is not just a something. Light does not come out of beings unless they are God. Who are you, Lord? And the response was, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Which is interesting. That Christ identifies with his people, the church. He calls the church his body. And in that moment, Saul of Tarsus encountered Jesus and for the first time in his life, he experienced sins forgiven in a moment. A weight that he had carried on his soul was lifted immediately as he encountered Jesus. Jesus told him, continue on to Damascus, and someone will come to you whom I have spoken to. And that man's name was Ananias. When Ananias came to Saul, Jesus had appeared to Ananias and said this, you are to go to such and such number in such and such street. It was called Straight Street. Go to that street, knock on the door. There will be a man in there whom I have blinded. <laughs> You are to lay your hands on him and tell him to receive the Holy Spirit. His eyes will be opened and you will do this because I have chosen him as my instrument to spread the gospel. So Ananias knocked on the door, came in. There was a man blinded, went up to him and said, Saul, the Lord Jesus has sent me here to open your eyes and to pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit. He did that. And it happened. I'm pointing this out to you that from the very outset, Paul, which was his Roman name, Saul was his Hebrew name, had an experience of what it meant to encounter Jesus, be forgiven of sin, and then filled with the Holy Spirit. This is an important distinction because when Paul went to Ephesus, not too far away from Galatia, over on the coast actually, he found some believers there and he said, have you been baptised? And they said, yeah, we were baptised in the same baptism that John the Baptist offered 
And he said, no, you, Jesus has come. You need to be baptised in the name of Jesus now. And, and then he asked this question. And since you believed, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they go, like some of you might be going right now, what's the Holy Spirit? You've probably been sitting here this morning and you've heard reference to the Holy Spirit throughout our meeting because the Holy Spirit is not just a vapour. It's not just a, a Star Wars force. The Holy Spirit is a person who speaks, who acts, who makes decisions. And Jesus said, when I send him, he, John 16, he will lead you into all truth. Jesus said, you have had him with you, but when I go, I will send him so that he will be in you. This is weird stuff. Tom Holland, the British historian, says when he looked at Christianity and its influence in the world, he said, the one thing I can say about Christianity is it is very weird. You know that, don't you, because of the person sitting on your left. Or your right. Or in front of you. Or in the mirror. Christianity is weird because it's not just this is what my parents believe, therefore I believe it, yawn. It's an encounter on a road to Damascus that we all have where we encounter Jesus and then we encounter what he promised. He called it to his disciples in the closing chapter of Luke, Luke chapter 24. He said, wait in Jerusalem until the promise of my father. What was the promise of my father? The sending of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says you're now in danger of forsaking that because that's what you experienced too. You experienced a freedom that came when you accepted the gospel and then you experienced the person of the Holy Spirit who filled you and transformed your life. You know it. He says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, Why are you being so foolish? Who has bewitched you into believing something that only hypnotism could delude someone with? Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. After all, you experienced, he says, Galatians 3, 2. You experienced the Holy Spirit. You experienced this transformation that can only happen, not because of someone's flowery words, not because someone moved you emotionally, but it was something that stayed with you. And now he's saying you're in danger to walk away from that because you have these people who are very, very religious. These Jewish Christians who believed that in order to become a true Christian, you had to become a Jew first, keep all the Jewish laws and believe in Jesus. And Paul says there's no and when it comes to believing Jesus. It's just believe Jesus. Put your faith and trust in him. That's it. That's why we call it Christ in Christian. It's when Christ comes inside you because you turn to him and surrender. You become a follower. You become a worshiper. You are in danger, Paul says, of believing a false religion. This religion that says it's faith in Jesus plus, 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 plus. And Paul says that's nonsense. The plus was called the Torah. It's the Jewish word that encompasses three things. It encompasses the law. It encompasses all of the Old Testament. It encompasses all the rituals and traditions and so on the law so paul writing in galatians chapter 4 and verse 21 tell me he says you who desire to be under the law here's the point 
when he came and preached to them, there were Jews and there were Gentiles, and they all realized, man, this is grace. We don't have to keep doing all these regulations and rituals and ceremonies and laws. We can just trust Jesus. <laughs> and now he's saying, you want to go back to all that? You who desire to be under the law? <laughs> Paul's like, he's bewildered. Why would you want to do that? There are many religions today that tell you you've got to do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. But you know, you know, you know, Christianity is not spelt D-O. Christianity is spelt D-O-N-E. It's all done. Christ has done it. We serve and follow him not to do something, but because he's done it all and out of love we respond to him because we want to. To follow him now out of love. Out of love. And Paul is now so upset that there are people that would come and rob them of that. There are churches where this happens today because people get sucked into this thing that you've got to do this. We've been to church. Kim and I went to a church in Southampton, England, and we're running late. And we have this big belief that Sunday is the Lord's Day. We do not compromise on that. We will always go to church no matter where we are, anywhere in the world. We went there. We had two very small children. We rocked into Southampton. We saw there was a church starting in about five minutes. We unpacked our bags in the motel. And Kim said, oh, I'm not going to go. I'm bedraggled. I've been driving all day in this car. So she quickly put her makeup on. Which you know. So two hours later, we, no, um <laughs> So, so Kim puts her makeup on and we, and we go to this Southampton church and we go in there and suddenly all the women are wearing hats. And then we realise, oh, we're in one of those churches where you don't wear makeup because you could go to hell. So Kim's going... I'm not preaching now, am I? I'm telling us this is this actually happened. <laughs> and so we realize, oh my goodness. Now, I didn't have a handkerchief for Kim to put over her head. But honestly, the fashion level of some of these hats she might as well have. So anyway, um, there are and I'm not trying to I'm not trying to no I am. I'm ridiculing that because it's wrong. Anyway. Here we have, within the law, the Old Testament, the old rules, there was a glimpse, a revelation, that's a revealing from God. God was saying something in a way, hey, there's a new covenant coming. We read about it in Jeremiah where he says, in chapter 29, 30, 31, 33, where he says, I'm sending a new covenant. Within the Old Testament, there was this record that there was a new covenant coming. And that new covenant would be instigated by a Messiah, a Saviour, who was coming to institute this new covenant. One of the most profound passages in the Old Testament about that is Isaiah chapter 53, written 750 years before Jesus came. And people up until 1940 said that's a load of rubbish. That was written way up. That was written maybe three, four hundred AD. There's no way that Isaiah passage was written 750 BC. Pfft. It's too accurate. 
to describe and depict Jesus Christ. Then one day, a little sheep, sorry, a goat herder out in the Sinai Desert threw, was missing a goat and threw a rock in. You know the story? And, and, and he threw a rock in looking to hear a from a goat. Instead, he heard smash. And he thought, that's odd. And he went in there and it was a, an earthenware vase jar. And he pulled out these vellum manuscripts. Vellum is made from leather. And he pulled them out and he took them into Jerusalem and he said, are these anything? They were the Dead Sea Scrolls, considered the greatest archaeological find of the 20th century. Documents that were written, three, four, copied 3400 BC. And one of them was the scroll of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53, demonstrating that that prophecy given in the Old Testament about Jesus was written hundreds of years, and that was a copy. So it originated around 700 to 750 BC about Jesus. It seems that these false teachers, these Judaizers, they're, they're called in the New Testament, who said you had to become Jewish first, so that meant men, you had to be circumcised, women, you had to keep all the rituals in order to be a true Jew first, then become a Christian. It seems like these false teachers had come in and bamboozled the Galatians with some of this stuff out of the Old Testament. The way the, the people of that era used the Old Testament was to, here's the word, allegorize, allegorize the text. An, allegor an allegory is where something is said, but it actually means something else. It says this, but it means this, not, not like what it resembles in what it straight up says. That's an allegory. And it seems like Paul says, okay, you want to have an allegory off? Let's go for it. This is what it seems to me. For it is written, Paul says, that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. And if you don't understand what's happening now with Paul writing this, we're now having an allegory off. We're having him take on these false teachers with their ability to allegorize. Now he's going, well, let me show you how to do it properly. This is what he says. For the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now the point here is he doesn't explain to the Galatians who he's talking about. In fact, he says, oh, you think you're being so deep in your spirituality, do you? Well, let me launch in here. He's told us it's about Abraham. We know that. He hasn't told us who the slave woman is, but we know who that is, don't we? Her name? Hagar. We know who the free woman is. Her name is Sarah. So we know that because we're deep. Not now, but, but he's making a point here. He's going, if you think that these false teachers were, were deep, let me tell you, I can go deep too, but I'm going to go deep in a different way. I'm going to tell you what it actually means. And Paul will actually say, now this may be interpreted allegorically. So that's how we know. We're now having an allegory, an allegory off, like a, not a shoot off, not a match off, not a whatever off, an allegory off. You might want to try it out in the foyer after the service. It's great fun. These women are two covenants, Paul says, of the slave woman and the free woman. One is from Mount Sinai, and Mount Sinai is where Moses went up and got the 
law. One, uh, the bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. So you were right. Well done. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai. So now this is all allegory. In Arabia, she corresponds to the present Jerusalem, which is not in Arabia, which is in, anyone know? Try Israel, for she is in slavery with her children. So here we have Paul saying the old covenant, the laws that you want to go back under, it's like that slave woman. It's like her son. It's like Mount Sinai where the law was given. And it's also like Jerusalem today, full of rules, full of regulations. You know that city that ordered Jesus to be put to death, that city. But the Jerusalem above, now he's, again, he's allegorizing. He's saying, but there's another Jerusalem. The Jerusalem that is above, that's the heavenly Jerusalem. He will call it in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. And the writer of Hebrews refers to it in Hebrews chapter 11, about verse 11. This Jerusalem above is free. And she is our mother. This is a statement of citizenship, by the way. And if you're taking note, just note down Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, where Paul says, Our citizenship is now in heaven. We are citizens of heaven. And here he tells the Galatians, and every citizen of heaven, you know, remember why we're keeping the law? So we can get to heaven. Well, now you're a citizen of heaven. What? We're already, we're already admitted. We're already there. Yes, Paul says. The Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, now he's citing Isaiah. I said Isaiah 53 is a powerful prophecy of what the new covenant with Jesus was going to look like. Now he's citing Isaiah chapter 54, verse 1, which talks about the, the effect of what Christ would do. Rejoice, O barren, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. And he's pointing out the difference between being a Jew and being a Gentile. The Jews look down on the Gentiles. Ah, you don't know God. You don't have God. You don't have a relationship with God. You'll never be forgiven. You'll end up in hell. You're desolate. And Paul says, have a listen to what Isaiah said about that. You Gentiles, you can now rejoice because of what Messiah has done, what Christ has done, what he has done for you. He's going to make you a fruitful mother. He is going to do this for you, even though you were ridiculed as not having a relationship with God. You are now going to have one. God will be your God and you will be fruitful. You will have more children than the one who could bear children naturally. The Apostle Paul is using this method of reading scripture by using allegory. He's giving these two examples. Let's you know, look at this. It's the two it's the Old Covenant, the New Covenant. The Old Covenant belonging to Israel and Judaism, not superseded in one sense, but the continuation of it because it was always meant to finish and become something else. That's the New Covenant. We read in verse chapter 4, verse 28, Now you, brothers, like Isaac. Now he's introduced another character, Isaac. The one who was born to Abraham and Sarah. Abraham when he was 99 and Sarah when she was 86. Now, I'm no gynecologist, um, but there is one here. 
and you might want to just check with uh, Dr. Ben Danaraj later, is it possible for a 99-year-old man to sire a child with an 86-year-old woman? And for those who aren't gynaecologists, you might think, no, that would be weird. There's, there's our word again. That would be weird. And this is Paul's point. Yes, this is not the way the world works. 99-year-old men do not go around siring children. 86-year-old women do not conceive to 99-year-old men unless something weird was happening and God was intervening and the Holy Spirit was doing something that the world said cannot be done. Rejoice, O barren woman. And did you know that when Kim and I came to Tasmania, well, just as we were preparing to come to Tasmania, we had so many pastors on the, what's that place called? The mainland, tell us, what would you go to Tasmania for? It's a pastor's graveyard. God never does anything in Tasmania. Rejoice, O barren woman, Tasmania, because God's going to do something. And we will see, did I wake anyone up then? I'm sorry. Sorry, go back to sleep. I'll, I'll, I'll try not to do that again. I can't guarantee it, but I'm so ticked that there are people who look down their nose at Tasmania and I'm, I want you to know if you're watching online God's doing something in Tasmania and he's going to continue to do something in Tasmania we are yet to see the fullness of what God's going to do but now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise what was the promise that God would pour out his Holy Spirit when the new covenant was instituted that's the promise but what does the scripture say Cast out the slave woman and her son. The old covenant was going to end. Even the old covenant said it was going to end. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. You can't earn your way into heaven. You can't earn your way into God's forgiveness. God is offering it to you as a free gift. It's by grace. You receive it and then open up your life to the weird. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life. The Apostle Paul would later tell the Corinthians, telling them not to misuse what the Holy Spirit does. He would say, I pray in tongues. I pray in tongues more than any of you because this is what the Holy Spirit does in and through me. It's weird, I know. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave but of the free woman remember he's talking to galatians who are being tricked into going back into this thing of keeping rules keeping regulations doing all this religious stuff as if god's interested in your religion he's not so the question is when we look at this passage my question is had, had the judaizers bamboozled the galatians with their allegorical interpretations of scripture and if I had time, I would tell you, please be on guard against it today. When people come in, take an Old Testament passage and completely twist it from what it actually intended to mean. But what the Apostle Paul has done is he has allegorized the text to reveal a truth, a principle of what Scripture actually was saying. And that's the difference. Paul has allegorized these characters. Hagar, Ishmael, Mount Sinai and physical Jerusalem to symbolically represent slavery to the Torah, that is the law, the Old Testament. Does that mean the Old Testament's not relevant to us today? He says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10, no, no, these things are written for us to draw principles out of. These things are written for examples for us today. There is something about the Old Testament that'll do your soul good. 
Then the Apostle Paul, on the other side of the ledger, he allegorized Sarah, Isaac, the heavenly Jerusalem, as God's promise and the believer's freedom. You may never have experienced the Holy Spirit in your life. If you're a believer, you can and you should. And I encourage you to seek everything that God has for you through the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. Every person, Paul is saying, is either a child of the slave woman or, that is, dead religion. Religion can't make you right with God. Religion is man's effort to try and reach God and you just can't do it. But Christianity is God coming down to reach us and doing what no man could do, conquering death itself, the result of that slavery and sin. And so here we have the two choices. Do you want to be the kind of person that God has created and called you to be? Or do you just want to take your own chances and try and do it all yourself? That's it. That's the two choices. One will lead to frustration. It's what I would call dead religion. Paul, earlier in that chapter, calls it evil. Well, the choice is the kind of life God wants you to have is spirit-filled, where the Holy Spirit comes into you, as Jesus said he would, and he transforms your life from inside out. Would you please stand? That's the choice. And it's my pastoral heart that you, from this moment on, would say, God, if what that guy's saying is true, there's more to my Christianity than I've experienced, and I want to experience it. And in a moment after we worship and sing this song, Julie's going to come and close in prayer and invite you to experience more of God. If you'd like to listen again or you've missed a program, you'll find an archive of all previous episodes on our website, findingtruthmatters.org. For tonight's program, select Galatians Part 10 from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, every person is either a child of the slave woman, dead religion, or the free woman, spirit-filled eternal life. More from Dr. Corbett next week as we continue in Galatians. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters. Music